yeah, fucking 51. Welcome to A Reason to Talk with Chris Reason. And today's episode, we are talking about Area 51, obviously. I'm back with another conspiracy theory on this episode. Before we get into today's episode, let's hear from our sponsor, Wicked Cuts Jerky. Beef jerky, turkey jerky, chicken jerky, bacon jerky, beef sticks, mega bags of beef jerky, spicy jerky, variety packs, seasonings, and much more. Check out Wicked Cuts Jerky at Wicked... Uh, cuts.co slash CRN10. That's W I C K E D C U T Z dot C O slash CRN10. Deals on multi pack orders and reasonably priced as well for singles. So check out Wicked Cuts Jerky at wickedcuts.co slash CRN10. That's W I C K E D C U T Z dot C O slash CRN10. So, obviously, Area 51 has been talked about a lot. Hell, we had people who tried storming Area 51 already. So, let's fucking talk about it and hear from me today and what I believe and think. The famous, and this some of this is also going to be some backstory of what Area 51 was and where it's located and everything like that. The famous Area 51 in the Nevada desert, 83 miles or 134 kilometers north-northwest of Las Vegas, is a military installation at the Nellis Military Operations Area, but the base quickly became known as the most secretive military site in the world because it doesn't exist on any map or government website, leading many many to craft conspiracy theories based on that fact. UFOs, aliens, such... Some believe Area 51 is researching and experimenting on aliens and their spacecraft. More specifically, people think they are starting a crash that happened near Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Others theorize that the moon landing was staged at Area 51. The government has said that the facility is used to test experimental aircraft for the military. Um, is Is that just a vague statement of the United States government trying to tell us that they are testing the UFOs that they have discovered from the crash so they can use them? What else could testing an experimental aircraft be? Or maybe Area 51 was originally home for the aliens and we are the visitors to their planet. The Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, established the Groom Lake Test Facility in April 1955 for Project Aquatone, the development of the Lockhead, Lockheed U-2 Strategic Reconnaissance Aircraft Project Director Richard M. Bissell Jr. understood that the flight test and pilot training programs could not be conducted at Edwards Air Force Base or Lockheed's Palmdale facility given the extreme secrecy surrounding the project. He conducted a search for a suitable testing site for the U-2 under the same extreme security as the rest of the project. He notified Lockheed who sent an inspection team out to Groom Lake. According to Lockheed's U-2 designer, Kelly Johnson, we flew, flew over it, and within 30 seconds, you knew that this was the place. It was right by a dry lake. Man alive, we looked at the lake, and we all looked at each other. It was another. It was another. Edwards, so we wheeled around, landed on the lake, taxied up to the one end of it. It was perfect. Natural landing field. Was as smooth as a billiard table without anything being done to it. The lake bed made an ideal strip for testing aircraft and the Emigrant Valley's mountain ranges and the NTS perimeter projected the site from visitors. It was about 100 miles or 160 kilometers north of Las Vegas. The CIA uh, asked the AEC to acquire the land des- des- designated Area 51 on the map. 
and to the add the Nevada test site. Johnson named the area Paradise Ranch to encourage workers to move to the new facility in the middle of nowhere. As the CIA later described it, the name and the name became shortened to the ranch. On May 4, 1955, a sur- survey team arrived at Groom Lake and laid out a 5,000-foot or 1,500-meter north-south runway on the southwest corner of the lake bed and designated a site for a base support facility. The ranch initially consisted of a little more than a few shelters, workshops, and trailer homes in which the, to house its small team. A little over three months later, the base consisted of a single paved runway, three hangars, a control tower, and rudimentary accommoda- uh, accommodations for test personnel. The base's few amenities included a movie theater and volleyball court. There was also a mess hall, several wells, and fuel storage tanks. CIA, Air Force, and Lockheed per- personnel began arriving by July 1955. The ranch received its first U-2 delivery on July 24, 1955 from Burbank on a C-124 Globemaster II cargo plane. Accompanied by Lockheed, technicians on a Douglas DC-3 regular military air transport service flights were set up between Area 51 and Lockheed's offices in Burbank, California. To preserve secrecy, personnel flew to Nevada on Monday mornings uh, and returned to California on Friday evenings. Project Oxcart was established in August 1959 for anti-radar studies, aerodynamic uh, structural tests, and engineering designs, and all later work on the Lockheed A-12. This included testing at Groom Link, which had the inadequate facilities consisting of buildings for only 150 people, a 5,000-foot asphalt runway, and limited fuel, hangar, and shop space. Groom Lake had received the name Area 51 when A-12 test facility constructions uh, began in September 1960, including a new 8,500 feet runway to replace the existing runway. Reynolds Electrical and Engineering Company, RECO, began construction of Project 51 on October 1, 1960 with double shift construction schedules. The contractor upgraded base uh, facilities and built a new 10,000-foot runway diagonally across the southwest corner of the lake bed. They marked an uh, Archimedean spiral on the dry lake approximately two miles across so that the A-12 pilot approaching the end of the runway, or sorry, over the end of the overrun, could abort instead of plunging into the sagebrush. Area 51 pilots called it the hook. For crosswind landings, they marked two unpaved airstrips, runways 927 and 321, on the dry lake bed. August 1961, construction of the essential facilities was complete. Three surplus Navy hangars were erected on the base's north side, while Hangar 7 was new construction. The original U-2 hangars were converted to maintenance and machine shops. Facilities in the main contaminant area included workshops and buildings for storage and administration. A uh, commissary commissary, whatever, uh, control tower, a fire station, and housing. The Navy also contributed more than 130 surplus Babbitt duplex housing units for long-term occupancy facilities. Older buildings were repaired, and additional facilities were constructed as necessary. A reservoir pond surrounded by trees served as a recreational area one mile north of the base. Uh, Other recreational facilities included a gymnasium, a movie theater, and a baseball diamond. A permanent aircraft fuel tank farm was uh, constructed by early 1962 for the special JP-7 fuel required by the A-12. Seven tanks were constructed with a total capacity of um, 1,320,000 gallons. 
Security was enhanced for the arrival of Oxcart, and the small mine was closed in the Groom Basin. In January 1962, the Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, expanded the restricted airspace in the vicinity of Groom Lake, and the lake bed became the center of a 600-square-mile addition to restricted area R4808N. The CIA facility received eight USAF F-101 voodoos for training, two T-33 shooting star trainers for proficiency flying, a C-130 Hercules for cargo transport, a U-3A for administrative purposes, a helicopter for search and rescue, and uh, Cessna 180 for li- uh, liaison, uh, liaison, whatever use, and Lockheed provided uh, F-104 stri- uh, Starfighter for use as a chase plane. The first A-12 test aircraft was co- uh, covert- covertly trucked from Burbank on 26th of February 1962 and arrived on Groom Lake at 20 on the 28th of February. It made its first air flight April 26, 1962, when the base had over a thousand personnel. The closed airspace above Groom Lake was within the Nels- Nellis Air Force Range airspace, and pilots saw that A-12 20 to 30 times. Groom was also the site of the first Lockheed D-21 drone test flight on December 22, 1964. By the end of 1963, nine A-12s were at Area 51 assigned to the CIA-operated 11th-29th uh, Special Activities Squadron. Following the loss of Gary Powers' U-2 over the Soviet Union, uh, there were several discussions about using the A-12 Oxcart as an unpiloted drone aircraft. Although Kelly Johnson had come to support the idea of drone reconnaissance, he opposed the development of an A-12 drone, contending that the aircraft was too large and complex for such a conversation or conversion. Uh, however, the Air Force agreed to fund the study of a high-speed, high-altitude drone aircraft in October 1962. The Air Force interest seems to have moved the CIA to take action. The project designated a Q-12 by October 1963. The drone's design had been finalized. At the same time, the Q-12 underwent a name change to separate it from the other A-12-based projects. It was renamed the D-21. The 12 was reversed to 21. Tagboard was the project's codename. The first D-21 was completed in the spring of 1964 by Lockheed. After four more months of checkouts and static tests, the aircraft was shipped to Groom Lake and reassembled. It was to be carried by a two-seat derivative of the A-12. Designated the M-21, when the D-21-M-21 reached the launch point, the first step would be to blow off the D-21's inlet and exhaust covers. With the D-21 and M-21 at the correct speed at the altitude, the LCO would start the remjet and the other systems of the D-21. The D-21 systems activated and running and the launch aircraft at the correct point, the M-21 would begin a slight pushover. The LCO would push a final button and the D-21 would come off the pylon. Difficulties were addressed through 1964 and 1965 at Groom Lake with various technical issues. Captive flights shown, showed unforeseen aerodynamic difficulties. By late January 1966, more than a year after the first captive flight, everything seemed ready. The first D-21 launch was made on March 5, 1966 with a successful flight with the D-21 flying 120 miles with limited fuel. A second D-21 flight was successful in April 1966 with the drone flying 1,200 miles, reaching Mach 3.3 at 90,000 feet. An accident on July 30, 1966 with a fully fueled D-21 on a planned checkout flight suffered from an unstart of the drone after its separation, causing it to collide with the M-21 launch aircraft. 
The two crewmen ejected and landed in the ocean 150 miles offshore. One crew member was picked up by helicopter, but the other, having survived the aircraft breakup and ejection, drowned when seawater entered his pressure suit. Kelly Johnson personally canceled the entire program, having had serious doubts about its feasibility from the start. A number of D-21s had already been produced, and rather than scrapping the whole effort, Johnson gained purpose to the Air Force that they be launched from a B-52H bomber. By late summer of 1967, the modification worked to both the D-21, now designated the D-21B, and the B-52's whatever, was completed. The test program could not resume. The test missions were flown out of Groom Lake with the actual launches over the Pacific. The first D-21B to be flown was Article 501, the prototype. The first attempt was made on September 28, 1967, and ended in complete failure as the B-52 was flying toward the launch point. The D-21B fell off the pylon. The B-52H gave a sharp lurch as the drone fell free. Drone fell free. The booster fried, fired, and was a quite sight from the ground. The failure was traced to a strip nut on the forward right attachment point on the pylon. Seven more tests were made, none of which met success with success. However, the fact is that the resumptions of D-21 tests took place against a changing rena- uh, recognize, uh, background. Reconnaissance, I don't know. The A-12 had finally been allowed to deploy the SR-71, was soon to replace it. At the same time, new developments in reconnaissance satellite technology were nearing operation. Up to this point... The limited number of satellites available restricted coverage to the Soviet Union. A new generation of reconnaissance satellites could soon cover targets anywhere in the world. The satellite's resolutions would be comparable to the aircraft, but would be the slightest political risk. Time was running out of the tape board. Right out for the tape board. Sorry if I'm butchering that reconnaissance word. Several more test flights, including two over China, were made from Beale AFB, California, in 1969 and 1970 to very varying degrees of success. July 15, 1971, Kelly Johnson received a wire canceling the D-21B program. The remaining drones were transferred by a C-5A and were placed in dead storage. The tooling used to build the D-21Bs was ordered destroyed, like the A-12 Oxcart, the D-21B tagboard drones remained at bl- a black airplane even in retirement. Their existence was not suspected until August 17, 1976 when the first group was placed in storage at the Davis-Monthan AFB Military Storage and Disposition Center. A second group arrived in 1977. They were labeled GTD-21Bs. GT stood for good ground training. Davis-Monthan is an open base with public tours of the storage area at the time, so the odd-looking drones were soon spotted and photos began appearing in magazines. Speculation about the D-21B circulated within aviation circles for years. It was not until 1982 that details of the tagboard program were released. However, it was not until 1993 that the B-52 D-21B program was made public. That same year, the surviving D-21Bs were released to museums. Since the F- 117 became operational in 1983. Operations at Groom Lake have continued. The base and its associated runway system were expanded, including the expansion of housing and support facilities. In 1955, 
1995, the federal government expanded the exclusionary area around the base to include nearby mountains that had uh, hitherto afforded the only decent overlook to the base, prohibiting access to 3,972 acres of land formerly administrated by the Bureau of Land Management. On October 22, 2015, a federal judge signed an order giving land that belonged to a Nevada family since the 1870s to the United States Air Force for expanding Area 51. According to the judge, land that overlooked the base was taken to address security and safety concerns connected with their training and testing. There were some other aircraft that were reported to be uh, tested at this base, but it would have just been me talking about random aircraft that had nothing to do with now. So let's talk about some other information on Area 51. We're getting in here to uh, some information regarding it. The United States government has provided minimal information regarding Area 51. The area surrounding the lake is permanently off-limits to both civilian and normal military air traffic. Security clearances are checked regularly. Cameras and weaponry are not allowed. Even military pilots training in the NAFR risk disciplinary action if they stray into exclusionary box surrounding Grimm's airspace. Surveillance is supplemented using buried motion sensors. Area 51 is a common destination for Janet, a small fleet of passenger aircraft operated on behalf of the Air Force to transport military personnel, primarily from Harry Reid International Airport. The USGS topographic map for the area only shows a long disused groom mine. A civil aviation uh, chart published by the Nevada Department of Transportation shows a large restricted area defined as part of the Nellis restricted airspace. The National uh, Atlas shows that the area is lying as lying with the Nellis Air Force Base. There are higher resolution and newer images available. Other satellite imagery providers include Russian providers and the uh, Iconos. These show the runway markings, base facilities, and aircraft, and vehicles. June 25th, 19, or 2013. The CIA released an official history of the U-2 Oxcard project, which acknowledged the existence of Area 51 in response to a Freedom of Information Act request submitted in 2005 by Jeffrey T. Richelson of George Washington University's National Security Archive. It contains numerous references to Area 51 and Groom Lake, along with a map of the area. 1994, five unnamed civilian contractors and the widows of contractors Walter Kaja and Robert Frost sued the Air Force and the United States Environmental Protection Agency. They alleged that they had been present with when large quantities of unknown chemicals had been burned in open pits and trenches at Groom. Rutgers University biochemists ana- analyzed biopsies from the compla- compliance and found high levels of dioxin, Dibensulfurin and triloceride, I cannot pronounce these for crap, in their body fat. The compliance alleged that they had sustained skin, liver, and respiratory injuries due to their work at Groom and that this had contributed to the deaths of Frost and Kaja. The suit sought compensation for the injuries, claiming that the Air Force had illegally handled toxic materials and that the EPA had failed in its duty to enforce the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, which governs the handling of dangerous materials. They also sought detailed information about the chemicals, hoping that this would facilitate the medical treatment of survivors. Congressman Lee H. Hamilton, former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, told 60 Minutes reporter Leslie Stahl that the Air Force is classifying all information about Area 51 in order to protect themselves from a lawsuit. The government invoked the state secret privilege and petitioned U.S. District Judge Philip Pro 
to disallow disclosure of classified documents or examination of secret witnesses, claiming that this would expose classified information and threaten national security. Judge Pro rejected the government's argument, so President Bill Clinton issued a presidential de- determination exempting what it called the Air Force operating location near Groom Lake, Nevada, from environmental disclosure laws. Consequently, Pro dismissed the suit due to lack of evidence. Turley appealed the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit on the grounds in the, uh, that the government was abusing its power to classify material. Secretary of the Air, Air Force Sheila E. Wind, Windall filed a brief which stated that disclosures of the materials pre- present in the air and water near Groom can reveal military operational capabilities, capabilities with the nature and scope of classified operations. The Ninth Circuit rejected Turley's appeal and the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear it, putting an end to the compliance case. The President annually issues a determination continuing the Groom exception, which is the only formal recognition that the government has ever given that Groom Lake is more than simply another part of the Nellis complex. An unclassified memo on the safe handling an F-117 Nighthawk material was posted on an Air Force website in 2005. This discussed the same materials for which the compliance had requested information which the government had claimed was classified. The memo was removed shortly after journalists became aware of it. In December 2007, airline pilots noticed that the base had appeared in their aircraft navigational systems. Latest Jepson database revision with the ICAO airport identifier code of KXTA enlisted as Homey Airport. The probable inadvertent release of, of the airport data led to advice by the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, AOPA, that student pilots should be explicitly warned about KXTA not to consider it as a waypoint or destination for any flight, even if through it now appears in public navigation databases. The perimeter of the base is marked out by the orange posts and patrolled by guards in white pickup trucks and camouflage fatigues. The guards are proper, popularly referred to as camo dudes by enthusiasts. The guards will not answer questions but their employers about their employers. However, according to the New York Daily News, there are indications that they are employed through a contractor such as AECOM. Signage around the base perimeter advises that deadly force is authorized against trespassers. Technology is also heavily used to maintain the border of the base. This includes surveillance cameras and motion detectors. Some of those motion detectors are placed some distance away from the base on public land to notify guards of people uh, approaching. Dwayne A. D. Uh, sorry, Dwayne A. Day published Astronauts and Area 51: The Skylab Incident in the Space Review in January 2006. It was based on a memo written in 1974 to CIA Director William Coby by an unknown CIA official. The memo reported that astronauts on board Skylab had inadvertently photographed a certain location. There were specific instructions not to do this. Redacted was the only location which had such an instruction. The name of the location was obscured, but the context led Day to believe that the subject was Groom Lake. Day argues that the CIA considered no one, no other spot on Earth to be as sensitive as Groom Lake. The memo details debate between federal agencies regarding whether the images should be classified with Department of Defense agencies arguing that it should and NASA and the State Department arguing that it should not be classified. The memo itself questions the legality of retroactively classifying unclassified images. The memo includes handwritten remarks apparently by Director of Central Intelligence, Colby, 
Sucker, the state Rusk did raise it, and state and the State Department people felt strongly, but he inclined leave decision to me, DCA. I confess some question over need to protect since USSR has it, it from our own stats. Why really does it reveal? What really does it reveal? If exposed, don't we just say classified USAF work is done there? The, dis- the declassified documents do not disclose the outcome of discussions regarding the Skylab imagery. The debate proved a moot as the photographer or the photograph appeared in the federal government's archive of satellite imagery, along with the remaining Skylab photographs. January 28, 2019, an unidentified man drove through a security checkpoint near Mercury, Nevada, in an apparent attempt to enter the base. After an eight-mile vehicle pursuit by the base security, the man exited his vehicle carrying a cylindrical object and was shot dead by NNSS security officers and sheriff's deputies after refusing to obey a request to halt. There was no other injuries reported. Area 51 has become a focus of conspiracy theories due to its secretive nature and connection to classified aircraft research. Theories include the stores, examination, and uh, reverse engineering of crashed alien spacecraft, including materials supposed recovered at Roswell, the study of their occupants, and the manufacture of uh, aircraft based on alien technology. Meetings of joint undertakings with ex- extraterrestrials, the development of exotic energy weapons for the Strategic Defense Initiative (SDI) or other weapons program, development of weather control, the development of time travel and teleportation technology, the development of exotic prop- uh, propulsion systems related to the Aurora program, and lastly, activities related to a shadowy one-world government or the Majestic Twelve organization. Many of these hypotheses. Concern underground facilities at Groom or at a proposed lake, also known as S4 location, 8.5 miles south, and include claims of a trans- transcontinental underground railroad system, a disappearing airstrip nicknamed the, Ches- uh, the Cheshire Cheshire sorry, airstrip, after Lewis Carroll's uh, Cheshire Cat, which briefly appears when water is sprayed onto its camouflage asphalt and engineering based on alien technology. In the mid-1950s, civilian aircraft flew under 20,000 feet, while military aircraft flew up to 40,000 feet. The U-2 began flying over above 60,000 feet, and there was an in- increasing number of UFO sighting reports. Sightings occurred most often during early of evening hours when airline pilots flew west, saw the U-2 silver wings reflect the setting sun, giving the aircraft a fiery appearance. Many sightings reports came uh, to the Air Force's Project Blue Book, which investigated UFO sightings through air traffic controllers and letters to the government. The project checked U-2 and later Oxcart flight records to eliminate uh, the majority of UFO reports that it received during the late 1950s and 1960s, although it could not reveal to the letter writers that the truth uh, behind what they saw. Similar veterans of experimental experimental projects such as the Oxcart at Area 51 agree that their work inadvertently prompted many of the UFO sightings and other rumors. The shape of Oxcart was unprecedented with its wide dislike fuselage uh, designed to carry vast quantities of fuel. Commercial pilots cruising over Nevada at dusk would look up and see the bottom of Oxcart whiz by at 2,000 plus miles per hour. The aircraft's to- uh, titanium body moving as fast as a bullet would reflect the sun's rays in a way that couldn't make anyone think UFO. They believe that the rumors helped maintain secrecy over Area 51's actual operations. 
The veterans denied the existence of a vast underground railroad system, although many of Area 51's operations did occur underground. Bob Lazer claimed in 1989 that he had worked at Area 51 Sector 4, S4, said to be enclosed underground inside the Papoose Range near Papoose Lake. He claimed that he was contracted to work with alien spacecraft that the government had in its possession, similar to the 1996 documentary Dreamland, directed by Bruce Burgess, included an interview with a 71-year-old mechanical engineer who claimed to be a former employee at Area 51 during the 1950s. His claims included that he had worked on a flying disc simulator, which had been based on a disc or, or originating from a crash extraterrestrial craft that and was used to train pilots. He also claimed to have worked with an extraterrestrial being named J-Rod and described as a telepathic translator. In 2004, Dan Burrish, pseudonym of Dan Crane, uh, claimed to have worked on cloning alien viruses at Area 51, also alongside the alien named J-Rod. Burrish, scorely, uh Credentials uh, are the subject of much debate as he was apparently working as a Las Vegas parole officer in 1989 while also earning a PhD at State University of New York. In July 2019, more than 2 million people responded to a joke proposal to storm Area 51, which appeared in an anonymous Facebook post. The, the event, scheduled for 20 September 2019, was billed as Storm Area 51. They can't stop all of us. An attempt to see them aliens. Air Force spokeswoman Laura McAndrews said the government would discourage anyone from trying to come into the area where we train American armed forces. Two music festivals in rural Nevada, Alien Stock and Storm Area 51 Base Camp were subsequently organized to capitalize on the popularity of the original Facebook event. Between 1,500 and 3,000 people showed up at the festivals, while over 150 people made the journey over seven miles of off-road roads to get near the gates of Area 51. Seven people were reportedly arrested at the event. We still don't know if there actually are are actual aliens or alien aircraft at this base. There's only one way to find out. Thanks for listening. Hit that follow button so you can stay up to date for when new episodes of A Reason to Talk with Chris Reason air. For more content, check out the YouTube channel of Chris Reason Network. Gaming, collecting, food, and more all on the channel. Stay tuned for more peace and fucking bacon grease.